You're listening to Ping, a new podcast by Apenic discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, Robbie Mitchell. If you're new to our show and are wondering what this podcast is all about, each fortnight we chat with internet researchers and operators from around the world about the research they are doing and insights they've gained into the well-being of the internet. For those who've been listening, welcome back and thanks for the shares, feedback and reviews. And if you subscribed, thanks for that too. Today I'm chatting again with our Chief Scientist Jeff Houston about his research into certificate revocation. If you missed his recent write-up on this, head over to the APNIC blog after the show. We'll put a link in the description. This has been a hotly debated subject for some time, namely whether it still serves a purpose given that many web browsers give you the option to ignore revoked certificates, as we'll discuss. Jeff, welcome back to Ping. Good to be here again, and uh, hello, listeners. So today we're talking about certificate revocation, which is supposed to be an important process in validating the identity of remote servers and mitigating eavesdropping by third parties, which is a big deal for all websites, but particularly for those that you input your bank details. Now, this piqued your interest again recently, having written about it before, when one particular certificate authority revoked the certificates of its bank customers in Russia. Can you explain why, and if at all, this was as big a deal as it was made out by some commentators? Let's just sort of unpick this a little bit. You know, there's an awful lot of technology coming out of US-based companies. And part of this is actually these so-called certificate authorities. And we'll explain that a bit more as we get into this. But certainly US companies, if they want to be good little citizens, seem to have some kind of obligation, or that's the way some of them feel, to actually implement sanctions against uh, Russian entities as, as part of you know whatever's going on politically and all this mess. And it emerged in March that the American company Thought, which had issued a number of domain name certificates for some large Russian banks, unilaterally decided to cancel them. And the word that we use is revocation. And so if you look at the certificate transparency logs that kind of record everything, here are these entries to go, wow, this certificate should no longer be trusted. Now, there was some conversation about, well, that'll teach them. But there's a different conversation, which I actually want to get into today, is did it matter? Does anyone care? And it's kind of like the old days of credit cards. Remember them? And if you went into your your shop with a bad credit card, they'd look up a list, a list of revoked credit cards. And if your number was on the list, this credit card was no longer valid. But we've computerized everything. And the real issue is, and the question is, do these revocations actually work or not? To put this into context a little bit, I'd like to go sort of five steps back and actually explain what a certificate is and how it keeps the internet together, because that's kind of important. Because to be brutally honest, the entire internet and its security relies wholly and solely on these public key certificates. I send off my packets to jeffsfavoritebank.com. They end up somewhere. Up comes a screen that looks an awful lot like jeffsbank.com, and I start typing in my details. But why do I do that? I'm like, I haven't sort of had a little trip with the packets. I can't see the packets entering the other side. I have no idea what's answering. 
Now, I did some tests a little while ago of banks in Australia, and you can do the tests of banks in your country, major retail banks. And the IP addresses that answered me weren't operated by the bank. None of them. All cloud providers, I imagine. Well, I bank with the Bank of Akamai, evidently. If I was going to launch an attack on your bank, Robbie, I'd enlist a cloud provider. And why could you tell the difference? How do we know that what you're going to is where you intended to go to? And that's the kind of big question behind all these certificates. How do you know that the place your packets got to was the place that you intended them to get to? Now, your intention is based on a domain name, jeffsbank.com.au, whatever. Now, the way we do this is with a very neat trick of cryptography that's been known for a very long time called public-private key cryptography. You see, we're used to the cheap form of encryption that looks a lot like a key in a padlock. You can use a key to unlock it. You can use a key to lock it. It's the same key. But what if you needed two different keys? The first key could only unlock this padlock, but never lock it. And the other key could lock the padlock, but never unlock it. And so to sort of do the two, you actually needed two keys. So far, so good. Now, there's a property here that if I lock this padlock with key one, because that's all it can do, key two is the only key that can unlock it. So if your key or a key that's publicly known I publish one of these keys and say, if you find something that's locked and only this key unlocks it, you now know that only Jeff could have locked it. That's the matching private key. And as long as I keep that key a secret, then I've kind of got a binding that whenever you find something that is unlocked with my public key, you know that it's me. You know that I'm the genuine article. And it doesn't matter what IP address to go to doesn't matter about any of that stuff. If you receive an encryption bubble and says decrypt this and Jeff's public key decrypts it, you know that Jeff encrypted it and you're talking to Jeff. Okay, so how do you know it's Jeff's public key? You don't know me. (laughs) We've never met. We haven't done the super secret squirrel key exchange. But we rely on something that the legal system has relied on for centuries, so-called public notaries incorruptible stalwarts of the community who never lie, never lie. And I go to one of these incorruptible stalwarts of the community and I demonstrate to them that A, I'm Jeff, or in this case, jeffsbank.com, and that B, I prove I have knowledge of a private key. And I hand them my public key. Now, what they say is, On the 21st of March, 2022, Jeff came to me, and it's jeff.com, and we agreed that he held the private key matching this public key, and they publish it. And so now, as long as you trust that notary, then when you get this puzzle, and I'm suggesting that it's me, you can go to the notary and go, what's the public key of Jeff's favorite bank.com or whatever? And the notary goes, well, here you are. If you trust me, here's the public key value. You go, thank you. Go back, decrypt it all. Yay, it's Jeff. And that's how we're managing to use clouds for trusted services. doesn't matter what IP address you went to. It's the fact that they have knowledge of this private key because they're my agents. 
Now, I'd be a fool to give them my private key, but I have a backdoor link where they present puzzles to me and I sign them with my private key. Those puzzles go back out to you, the client. They prove that they're the bank, yada, yada, yada. We're all happy. So to bring this back to the conversation, certificate authorities are the public notaries in this case. Well, let's, yeah, let's bring this into modern parlance. The notary is actually a certificate authority and there's a code of practice and the code says you're not allowed to lie. Even if you do, you're not allowed to lie. You know, never, ever lie because everyone's got to trust you all of the time. There's no exceptions. Trust is absolute and eternal. So these are certificate authorities. The things that we generate are so-called certificates. And in actual fact, we circulate these certificates as if they were pieces of paper. So when I go to a certificate authority and get a certificate minted for me, they actually hand it back to me. It's up to me to publish it, never published by anyone else. And normally what I do is that I put it in my web server together with the key. And so when you, dear client, connect to my web server, we start a secure session, otherwise known as TLS. You tell me the service name you're wanting to connect to. In shorthand, it's called the SNI, Service Name Indicator. Now, I'm a big cloud server. I might have gazillions of services in my machinery. But when you give me this SNI value, I riffle through and go, ah, you're searching for the Jeff service. And so I bring up the context. So I then respond to you with the opening part of a handshake. I send my copy of that public key certificate and I encrypt a blob using my private key, okay? Now, you get my public key certificate and you make sure that it's been signed by someone that your browser trusts. And then you take that blob, it's been signed by my private key, and assure yourself that my public key can decode it. And then you create your own once-only secret and we create a so-called session key. So this transient session key is only used for this session, and we use cheap symmetric encryption for the rest of the session. But it's a one-off encryption. It's never going to get seen again. It doesn't need to be a persistent secret. It just needs to last for the lifetime of the session. And in a nutshell, that's how the internet works, right? That is it. There's nothing deeper. No better, no better technology out there. This is what we're stuck with. And all this hinges on certificate authorities never lying. And they never do anything bad. They never certify the wrong person. Then it's pretty good because you've got a number of things. Authenticity. It's really me because I demonstrated that it was really me. It's verifiability. No one can sit on the wire between you and me and diddle the packets. Why? the encryption will fail. So there's no mucking around here. This is the real deal. And the last is, I said there's two more, attribution. I said it, I can't say, oh, there was someone else. I didn't mean it. It's irrevocable. We'll get back to that word. And last but not least, it does session encryption. We can set up a, you know, a cheap symmetric key for the session and no one else can see what we're saying to each other. So those four properties are actually essential properties. If you want any secure system, you need verifiability, authenticatability, attribution, and encryption. And so this is what this system does. But when I go to my certificate authority and say, hi, I'm Jeff, and let's all prove it, do the handshake, I pay them money, and they issue me a certificate, 
or something more substantial, who knows, because you and I can't see what's going on. They not only give a certificate to say, I knew it was Jeff, and we did a key exchange on name today's date, name today's time. It's more than that. Because the certificate they issue me say, this is good for the next five years, 10 years. This is good for some time in the future. And this is a bit weird. As an internet user, this even goes against a lot of the basic security best practices that we're told by the experts, such as regularly updating your passwords and updating your systems whenever they're available. Well, what it says is, with no evidence to prove it, this is trustable for the next two years or even one year. And it's kind of, hang on a second, you're using... Dear old computers, you're using stuff that has critical security updates every few weeks. I'm like, this stuff is not rock solid. What happens if you leave your private key out on the street? What happens if an employee with valuable information walks out the door with your private key? What happens if the certificate authority that issued this certificate gets broken? This has happened. What happens when the key is compromised? Well, the certificate that's still out there is trusted. And if I can gain knowledge of your private key or gain control over that certificate, I can be you. And nobody, literally nobody, can see that I'm being bad. And so these certificates have this future model of, I saw this happen today, and you, dear clients, should trust this right up until the not after date in the certificate normally a year or two. We'll come back to why they make them that long. But before we do, can we return to what do users need to do when their key is compromised? Let's talk about the disaster. Let's talk about what happens if things get hacked, things get broken, employees leave with the key, stuff happens, and I no longer have control of my private key. Now, that's a disaster. And what I want is to immediately go to my favorite certificate authority and go, that one's bad. Let's try and tell everyone not to use it. Let's revoke that certificate. Now, I know it said it should be trusted for the next year. I know that. But now I want to overwrite that certificate with saying, don't trust it. So what's the process of revoking a certificate, Jeff? Is it as simple as clicking a button, clearing the cache, and it's gone? Where's the file? Where's the digital artifact? There's a copy at the CA, but hang on a second. I've loaded that certificate in my web server. You might have a local stash of that certificate. It could be anywhere. And how long are you going to keep that local copy? Well, I said originally, you can trust this for the next year. And I believe you. I'm, you know, a credulous cat chap. (laughs) If people tell me trust this for the next year, I've got no reason not to. And so how do you untrust something? How do you mark it as bad when no one is checking? So I can't replace the certificate with a new one because no one ever goes to look. Now, in the old world, the world of pens and paper and faxes and all that kind of good old physical stuff, these authorities used to publish revocation lists. Now, you'll notice there's an expiry date on the credit card. Do you remember credit cards? They were bits of plastic before they turned digital. And if you had a card that you wanted to cancel, it hit that revocation list right up until the expiry date. Now, at the point where the date said, you shouldn't trust this anyway. You can get rid of the revocation information as well because the certificates are done. But until that, you actually publish a second list. And every time someone says, untrust this certificate, 
you add the serial number of that certificate to your list of certificates that are bad. Now, this is, oddly enough, irrevocable. Revocation itself is irrevocable. So you go, oh, I've lost my private key, DSCA, revoke this certificate. Okay, revoked. It's on the certificate revocation list now. And right up until the not after date, it's marked as don't use this, don't trust it, it's toxic. Then you call again going, I found it. And the answer is, no, 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 no. It's a one-way street and you just went down that street. There's no reverse here. You need to A, generate a new key pair and B, certify a new key pair. You cannot make the old one trustable again because revocation is, oddly enough, irrevocable. This seems similar to the process of resetting a password whereby you can't put in an old password. That's not an intrinsic property of the system. That's just the intrinsic property of the password people who said using old passwords is bad. With certificates, it's actually a tougher requirement. It really is. That old certificate, unusable. So once something hits the certificate revocation list, it's there right up until the expiration date. Nothing coming back. So we have a lot of certificates out there. We have hundreds of millions of domain names. And these days, with certificates being free, because encryption wasn't meant to be a luxury good, the whole idea was encryption's for everybody because it's a bad, nasty world out there. And so every certificate authority runs a certificate revocation list, everybody. And so that certificate revocation list can get pretty big. It actually depends on how popular that certificate authority is. Um, My bank uses Entrust. No endorsement, it's just another CA. They're all the same. I looked at its certificate revocation list uh, a couple of days ago. There are 5,072 entries. That's a lot of certificates that would otherwise be good, but they're not. Now, fascinatingly, they list the reason, which I always find is a bit extraneous. It's kind of, it's revoked, it's dead. Doesn't really matter why it's dead. So what are some of the reasons that have been listed for them being revoked? About 3,000 of these 5,000 are dead because of a reason called superseded. Now, this is actually good key practice because although I issue you a certificate for a year, you'll probably come back to me in, say, 10 months' time and you'll go, issue me a new certificate and here's a new key pair. Here's a new key for my new certificate. Great, you're doing a fine job. Now. That old certificate, that old key still has two months to run. And you say, I'm not using it, and it's probably best that nobody uses it. So let's revoke it now because I don't want it used anymore. And if it leaks, it's not going to be any damage if I revoke it. So of those 5,072, 3,000, I think it was 68, are marked as superseded. Another reason is key compromise. Whoops. (laughs) This key is no longer trusted. Someone else might have control of it. And interestingly, around 368 in that list are key compromise. Fascinating. But it happens. And key compromise is a terrible thing to happen. But it happens more than you'd think. Now, they just could be lying. Oh, invent a reason. Let's call it key compromise. But, But whatever, there is a lot of it about. So the certificate authority now has the certificate revocation lists, and these are actually minted 
It's up to you as a certificate authority, but you normally mint it once a week. So you issue this certificate revocation list signed. It's a good piece of, of digital data. And it says, I'm going to print this on this day, March the 10th. And it's good for the next seven days because I'm going to issue a new list on March the 17th. And in this list, I'm going to tell you all the certificates that were dead on March the 10th. So what happens on March the 12th when a new certificate gets revoked? The answer is patience, Jim, just patience, right? We're issuing a new revocation list on March the 17th. Yours will be included, no problem. What about between now and then? Oh, well, patience. Patience. So we have to be patient and wait up to a week for our revocation to be listed on some of these lists, during which time our websites are open to be compromised? Well, it could be worse. Without certificate revocation lists, it'll be a year. And so, you know, the gold star in a tick is we've reduced the window of vulnerability from a year down to a week. Yay! The bad point is a lot can happen in a week. A high-speed network, a lot can happen in an hour. So, okay, we're putting out these regular certificate revocation lists, and they're big. They can be quite big. Now, your browser, the thing that's doing all the work, you're the client here. What do you need to do to make sure that you're not getting hoodwinked? Well, whenever you go to a site and it says, trust me, here's a certificate, you've got some work to do because now you have to go, well, that certificate was issued by the Jeff CA. So you now have to set up a new connection right in the middle of the old connection. Hang on, let's stop here. Before I trust you, I now need to get the current certificate revocation list. So I go to Jeff CA, Resolve DNS, yada, yada, yada and I retrieve the current certificate revocation list. Now, let's use an insecure connection, because if we started to use a secure one, this could get recursive forever. So it's a signed piece of data. As long as you can validate the signature, you can trust what you get. We get this certificate revocation list. Could be a few megs, could be bigger. And we then check and validate that list. So we look at its signature, look at against the signature, the key of the certificate authority, and check that the thing is correct. It's been signed by the right certificate authority. We create validation chains. Now we've got a trusted blob of information. We go, is the serial number you gave me on that list or not? If it's on the list, whoop, tear down, big error message, blah, blah, blah. You're using a, a uh, revoked certificate. I'm not going there. I shouldn't even ask you. I shouldn't even say, this certificate smells a bit. Are you willing to trust it? That's not a question. It's been revoked. It's dead, Jim. It's not a user option drive through this mess. It's the chasm of disbelief. Don't fall down it. No go. But I've seen these messages, Jeff. Almost every day I'm scrolling the internet. Terrible, isn't it? Are you willing to trust something that the even the CA and the original person says don't trust? Are you that credulous? Never ever say yes, okay? Anyway, here we are, revoked certificate list. Now, computers are fast, right? Networks are fast. This all sounds really, really good, right? But that's a huge amount of work for one certificate. I don't want all 5,072 revoked certificates from Entrust when I've really only got a question about one. So all of a sudden, I, the end user, have been given all the work to do, and it takes me a lot of time. Now, maybe this, no, it was never reasonable. 
In the days of modems, it wasn't reasonable. In the days of DS, it's never good. So the issue is nobody does it. Nobody does that form of checking. It takes an eon or two. Continents move faster than this. So it's great in theory. In practice, it just stinks. And so no one goes the long way around. So what's the substitute? Ah, we have a network. If you could go to the certificate authority and say, give me the list, because I want to search it and find a particular serial number, why don't you just go to the CA and say, don't give me the list, give me the status of this certificate, the online certificate status protocol. So it replaces a shovel full of revoked certificates to tell me if this is okay. In actual fact, I just get in touch with the CA as the client and give them a serial number. Hey, tell me about this. And I get back a signed answer. It's almost an extract of the CRL. And it looks a lot like the extract of that CRL. It actually has a window of dates. Oddly enough, this response is good for a week. And it is typically a week. (laughs) Whoops. And and it, it comes back to say, you know that certificate you asked me about? Three states. The state is good. Now, good is weird. It doesn't mean good. It actually means it's not revoked. Now, you may not have ever issued a certificate with that serial number. Good. (laughs) Or you have and it hasn't been revoked. Good. Or it's been revoked in the time period between when I last did a CRL pass and now. Good. And good is all of those, right? So although it says online certificate status protocol, It actually means a couple of days ago certificate status protocol, but I think the acronym wouldn't have worked. So good covers some degree of sins, but it basically says at the time we generated the last pass across all our issued certificates, this one was not revoked back then. Or it could say revoked, which is the real deal. Here's a signed answer to say that certificate is trash. Do not go there. Or it could say unknown, which is I'm not going to tell you anything. Unknown is meant to say, I don't recognize that serial number. But what you're searching for with this a few days ago certificate status protocol query is you want to know if it's bad. You actually don't care about anything else because all of the digital signatures on the original certificate say it's good. So your starting assumption is, I can trust this. And you're looking for a contradiction. So you're searching for revoked. No other answer matters. Okay, so that's what happens every time a certificate gets revoked. But in your recent post on the APNIC blog, you said you wanted to check if clients check for revocation. How did you do this and what did it show? So at APNIC Labs, we run a massive measurement system. We use Google Ads. Thank you, Google. And in those ads, we put in a script and it's a pretty banal script. It says, Go and get a few URLs. And Google's good. I'm like, as long as people don't click on that ad, if you see an ad with APNIC, please do not click on it. It doesn't cost us very much. It's quite cheap. So we can do around 16 million ads a day, and that's a lot of people. So we decided to aim one of these URLs on a TLS site that is trying to make a connection using a revoked certificate. Because now we can actually test who does this check using OCSP. Now, we use Let's Encrypt. 
Everyone uses Let's Encrypt. It's free. And the domain name we used is not the world's most important domain name. In fact, it's made up on the fly, so it's hardly a memorable domain name. And so the first test was a bench test. We set up a few operating system platforms and a few browsers and directed them to this dud URL. In the world today, there's kind of three platforms. There's the Apple ecosystem. And whether it's macOS or iOS, it's the Apple ecosystem. There's Windows for the three or four people there, stalwarts who are still using Windows. Good on you. And, and there's the sort of Linux derivatives, including Android, which kind of share comparable behavior. So three classes of platform. And realistically, there, there's only, well, one could really only say there's one browser, but let's say there's two, and I'll stretch and, and give you four. A lot of people use Chrome. If you look at market share, 80% of folk use Chrome. There's Firefox, much, 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 much lower market share, but it's out there. On the Apple ecosystem, there is Safari. By default, that's what happens in iOS. By default, that's what happens on uh, Mac OS. So there is Safari, but it's tied up very tightly to Apple. I don't think you can get it anywhere else these days. And over on dear Windows, whatever happened to Internet Explorer? It became Edge. What's Edge? It's the Chrome, I think it's the Chrome engine with Microsoft window dressing. So the bench test, the Apple infrastructure on all browsers says, I'm going to check OCSP. If this is a dud, you're not going to get there. I'm just going to stop and say, you know that certificate you're presenting me with? Revoked, not happening. No option, no do you want to proceed, not going there. Revoked is revoked. On Android, it says, here you are. What? Here you are. On Windows, Firefox says no. Edge and Chrome, here you are. On Debian, Firefox says no. But Chrome, on Debian, here you are. Interesting. Over in this kind of Windows Unixy environment, Firefox is the only thing that stands out. So we did some tests. We ran it for a day. So what were the results, Jeff? We did a large number of tests, a large, large, large number of tests across the entire planet. Only one in five, 21% of users actually say, don't want to go here. And because in this ad system, we kind of know where you are. Saudi Arabia, yeah, not going to go there. China, about half the folk not going to go there. A big degree in South America, one way or another. But other places, Mexico, no. All of Africa, no. Europe, no. What? Even India, no. They just don't care. So if OCSP is the answer, then there's an awful lot of folk using platforms, Chrome and Android, that go, no, it's not. It's not the answer. There's a couple of problems with OCSP as to why folk don't do this. Certainly faster than doing the full certificate revocation list, yes, but it's still time. But let's think about this again. I, the client, have to get in touch with the certificate issuer and say, is this certificate good? What am I telling the certificate issuer? I'm about to go to this URL. What a privacy leak. Every time I go to an encrypted site using TLS, I tell a third party I'm going to do it. Huh? And, and if it's not even encrypted, that query, if it's in the app, wow, this is really, really bad. And so in some ways, you might be solving one problem, but you've just opened a huge chasm 
of another problem. You're telling everyone what you're doing, clear and open. It's kind of, don't do that. And also, for this to happen fast, the certificate authority needs to answer your question fast. Now, their their job was to issue certificates, not to answer OCSP queries. So even though they sort of look up the CRL, because that's cheap, because they can't look up their database on the fly, because that's too expensive, it's still beyond their capability. Now, all kinds of things can go wrong with that OCSP query. And the real question is, what do you do if you don't get an answer in time? Look, the watch is running, watch is running, I've made a query, I've made a query, I'm going to go there anyway. That's a soft fail. That's great, except that I'm just taking you to somewhere that could have been revoked. Or you go, clock is running, clock is running, clock is running, I haven't got an answer, therefore it's dud. Hard fail. Now, if that whole sort of timeout with OCSP is common, you've just turned off the internet for a bunch of people living in obscure corners of the internet. Bad idea. If it's a soft fail, you kind of go, well, I'm going to go there anyway. It's sort of, why did you bother with revocation? Because if it fails and you're just going to go there, what purpose has been served? Most folks soft fail and kind of go, yes, if, if they don't get the answer in time. But like I said, although that gives a more forgiving internet, it's also one that just takes you into the bad place way too quickly. So how do we get out of this mess, Jeff? Well, let's fix it. And let's observe... From this server, I send you certificate number three. What question are you going to ask the certificate authority? Well, you're going to say, what's the status of certificate number three? I'll be nice to you. I'll be really nice to you. I'll ask on your behalf, says the server. What's the status of certificate number three that I'm about to send over to this user? The CA says it's good or it's bad. And because it's a signed piece of data, it doesn't actually matter who made that query, you can check that it's a valid answer. So the server will do that query. And oddly enough, because these things are valid for a week most of the time, I can store that answer. And every time I offer you a certificate, I staple the OCSP response to that certificate. So now only the server gets to query the CA. The client does not change, you know, doesn't expose themselves. The server does that on your behalf. There's no delay anymore. You get a signed answer. You have enough credentials to validate, so it's super-duper fast. The CA only needs to if you answer the question from the server who has the certificate, so the query load just goes down to nothing. And so life's wonderful. Yes, it all works. Yes? It sounds all wonderful, but is it being used? We tried to test that too. So what we did, and oddly enough, it's not common, and it's not the default. Not the default. We had to alter our server. In this case, it's Nginx. And we had to explicitly add stapling. Now, in the CDNs, who does stapling? Some do, some don't. And it's certainly not defaults all the time everywhere. So even though it sounds like a great idea, it's actually not all that common. So we run the tests, and what happens? Same result, one in five. Huh? We've made this fast. We've got rid of the privacy leak. We've cleaned this up. Why aren't you guys checking this? Let's think about this for a second. Let's say the certificate's been revoked. So I'm the server. I send you a certificate and I staple to it a status that says it's revoked. Now, what do you think, the client? Why are you sending me this shit? It's revoked. Why do I have to stop doing this? Why are you sending me trash? 
why didn't you just go, oh, yeah, it's revoked. Let's just call this off right now. Because a responsible server wouldn't say, oh, well, it's up to you. If you want to go to somewhere revoked, yeah, you stop it. And so if it's bad, why are you even going through with it? And you know it's bad because you have the OCSB status. And so if it's revoked, you shouldn't even bother offering it to the client. If it's good, so what? The certificate was already good. Having an OCSP status good doesn't add anything to the goodness of that certificate. It was good. And so in some ways, even stapling is kind of nonsense. So who supports stapling? Apple. Does anyone else? Firefox. Does anyone else? Nobody. One minor, 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 minor change. When I do stapling, Firefox on an Android phone goes, yep, that's revoked. So yay, Firefox detects it all with stapling. Does Chrome detect anything? Only on Apple. On any other platform, Chrome detects nothing. So why aren't these applications making this a standard practice? So Chrome has written quite a lot about this over the years. And there's quite a long and involved argument about is revocation worth it? And what Chrome decided to do was the thing called CRL sets, where they actually, on your behalf, use the Google bots to pull up all the CRLs, get a set of currently revoked certificates, and push them to every browser. Can't do that. Too many of them, too big. Tell you what, says Google, if you're important enough, we'll add you to the CRL set. If you're insignificant, Jeff and your experiment, we will not. So evidently, in my experiment, I'm not important enough. Now, I don't get it at this point, because on the one side, Chrome has been at the forefront of making the internet more secure. Whenever you go to a site that doesn't use HTTPS, whenever you just use plain old port 80, Chrome now spits out this warning. You're doing something really, really dumb. Are you sure you want to do something really, really dumb? And they've actually tried very, very hard to make security not an expensive luxury, but a commodity for everyone, right? Plaudits to Chrome, great move. But on revocation, they kind of go, oh, no, you're not a member of our club. Well, who is? That's a secret, but you're not a member. No, the problem's just too hard for the likes of you. This is really weird because revocation doesn't work. So why do we have to continue to revoke things then, Jeff? Is this a broken system? Well, the answer is in those one-year, two-year, three-year certificates, a lot can happen. And as Chrome have said themselves from time to time, isn't really the answer short certificates? If you actually look at Let's Encrypt, it's free and it's 90 days long, and they don't publish a certificate revocation list up front. You can't get there from the certificate. There's no reference. They kind of go, oh, 90 days is good enough. If, if it goes bad, just get another certificate. Don't use this one. Walk away. Don't bother revoking. So why don't all certificates go down? But 90 days? It is a long time to wait. So what's a more ideal and realistic time? Let's make it an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, I can see the entire CA community going, Jeff, you're on drugs. We can't cope. Because we've got these sort of high-touch things. Certificates are meant to be expensive pieces of security. Yet when we kind of go, well, okay, let's cut the lifetimes of these things down to right now and a few minutes in the future, and that's it. You guys all have a fit. Now, is wanting short-term credentials viable? 
I'm leading you down a path here because the gut reaction from the CA community and the folk who stash these certificates and hide the medication sign is, no, of course not. We need time. And if you talk to the malware community is, give me an hour and, and you're toast. There is no time. You can't do this anymore. So I need stuff that keeps current. What's the largest distributed database on the internet that keeps current within normally a day, and if you really want to tune it, down to a couple of hours? The DNS. There's this well-known adage in the technical community that there is no problem on the internet that the DNS can't solve. Whatever the issue is, just put it in the DNS and it's solved for you. And so oddly enough, when you think about the DNS, I can do an update. And as long as my time to lives are aggressive, I can push out the new information really quickly. I can push it out so quickly, says Facebook, I can lock myself out of my physical office within a couple of hours. Wow, that's currency, right? Good and bad, this stuff can be as hair trigger as you want it to be. And no one else cares. It's your problem. And so if you really want a solid information system that is actually current and not expressing something that happened a year ago, then the answer is the DNS. And you go, well, well, how can I do this? Well, oddly enough, almost all the tools are there. There was an effort in the IETF, and it's about now 10 years ago, to put keys, public keys, into the DNS. And it's called Dane. Domain authentication. And the way this works is, as well as putting IP addresses and all other kinds of things, poetry or whatever you want in the DNS, you actually put your public key into the DNS and sign it with DNSSEC. Now, let's think about this for a second. What you're trying to do with a certificate is to associate a public key with a domain name. End of story. That's all it does. What happens if you use DNSSEC, can't lie, and associate a public key with a domain name. Ooh, I've just associated a public key with a domain name. What's the difference? Well, I'm not using a whole lot of X509 paraphernalia. I haven't loaded myself down with you know the massive baggage truck of all that certificate nonsense. I've associated a public key with a domain name. It's current. In the DNS, you don't revoke things. You just lower the TTL and push out new stuff. You can revoke as fast as your TTL wants because you just replace the information. And in the DNS, everyone knows it's temporary. Everybody knows that. That's the way we operate the DNS. And so if you really want certificates with a validity of, I don't know, one hour, you actually don't want certificates with a validity of one hour. You want a key with the validity of one hour. So let's put it in the DNS. But hang on, they say, hang on. It takes forever to validate using DNSSEC a DNS answer. True. But remember we said OCSP stapling? Well, what about Dane stapling? Because when you want to validate a DNS answer using DNSSEC, I know what you're going to ask. I know exactly what you're going to ask. So why don't I ask for you and give you the string of answers? Now, it's your crypto. It's your trust model. Here's the stuff, knock yourself out. And because the signatures all interlink, you're not being misled. I can't mislead you. And so if we took DNSSEC, Dane, and stapling in the TLS, I'm kind of there. So why aren't we doing this, Jeff? It was always a good business model to be a certificate authority. 
you made a lot of money. Before Let's Encrypt came along and blasted it all to hell, people were charging thousands of dollars for a few bits and pieces. This was like NFTs all over again, Mark One. Of course, they didn't want their business model nuked. Of course, they were sitting there going, oh, you shouldn't trust the DNS. But if you don't trust that, you've got nothing left. And so this whole paraphernalia of hype and and nonsense about certificates is just that, hot air. It's just smoke and mirrors. There's nothing beneath it. Oh, it's using all the wrong crypto. Oh, hang on a second. If the stuff that I sign is only usable in one hour, and the algorithms I use, you need to crack within an hour or they're no use to you either. So I'm not the NIST over in the US trying to do encryption that lasts for 20 years. I have no care about post-quantum cryptography. You've got an hour. Knock me out, but you've got one hour. Do your worst. And so I reckon even you know RSA1024, which everyone goes, oh, that's horribly insecure these days. If you want it to be a secret for an hour, not a problem. And so in some ways, a lot of the things that say, oh, DNSSEC is Dane, it just doesn't work, kind of nonsense, narrow-minded, CA-based drivel. And it's part of this entire industry to cloak the things that don't work inside the layers of complexity that make it incredibly hard to see that underneath this is nothing. And so we're left with this answer, and it's so frustrating. We know how to do a better job. We actually know how to do a cheaper job. We know how to do a faster job. The DNS is truly a miracle. But there's this entire industry around certificates going, no, it's crap. And it's kind of, why do you say that? Because that's my job. Not because it's anything bad. It's because that's my job. And I don't know about you, but it annoys me. It just annoys me that we have all these stupid nonsense about revocation, alternate certificate authorities, alternate trust models. The DNS has one trust point. It's the KSK. That's it. There's no, oh, well, this country over there can set up its own CAs and this can do that. We can compromise things this way. But you can't do that in the DNS. It doesn't work like that. I find this very frustrating where you sit there and look at a perfectly solid piece of technology that we can make work blindingly fast. We can actually suit this model of, I can tell you the status of this piece of information within an hour. If you want to be bad, the clock is now ticking in seconds. Because if you take too long, all this is going to fall apart. Whereas over in certificate land, it's same weak service in a one second world. And it's just not good enough. In fact, it's same year service. It's just not good enough. And again, let me stress, we're not talking some esoteric nonsense down in the deep, dark, arcane corners of the internet. We're talking about the security of the internet itself. The only reason why you can trust this is this very framework. And to sort of reach the realization that this framework is constructed on misrepresentations, lies, and aggressive self-interest by a narrow band of folk who make way too much money out of certificates to ever quit the field, it's just sad to see. And I think this is all just a terrible place to be. And uh, would that we could change it. So if you're a CA, stop it. Just stop it. Walk away. Put it all in the DNS and just forget about it. And if you're in the DNS business, let's just do Dane and get over it. If only it could be that easy, Jeff. But let's hope that this research reignites this discussion. Oh, dream on, Robbie. It happened about five years ago and then stopped dead. Well, we'll see how many people listen to this podcast and read the Apnic blog. 
and agree with your synopsis and demand for change. (laughs) That's right. Get angry. Get frustrated. Change things. Jeff, it's been great talking again about another really interesting and important facet of the internet that needs to be improved. And I love how you brought it back to the DNS as well. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Chat next time, Robbie. Bye. Thanks to everyone who's made it this far. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, please subscribe, write a review and tell your colleagues about it. Finally, if you've got a story or research to share, get in contact via email, ping at apnic.net or our APNIC social media channels. And be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.